heard people say the same things to me about not being smart enough or pretty enough or don't have a job and just been a stay-at-home mom, those kinds of things. I really point out to them, we need to heal those thoughts because those are things someone has been telling you for a very long time and you now believe them. And so healing yourself from those toxic thoughts and those really painful painful conclusions about yourself, you won't even have to think about dating again, because by healing that, it will just happen on its own because that's the hindrance. It's never, there aren't enough men or women. It's always, I need a bit more healing. Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. Certified divorce coach and credentialed mediator Paulette Rigo invites you to grab a favorite beverage, find a cozy seat, soothe your soul, and take a listen. This podcast was created and inspired by our courageous journeys, love for connecting with others, and having meaningful conversations that teach, impact, and heal through sharing our stories. In each episode, Paulette will be joined by some of the most experienced and compelling experts in all things divorce and transformation. Listen to prepare and thrive through the toughest chapters as we reveal our hardships, celebrate our lessons learned, and see the future clearly with encouragement, hope, and joy. Leave feeling empowered and prepared to approach life and maintain our dignity no matter what. Each podcast episode focuses on sharing real conversations from real life situations. Isn't it time you thrived? Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. I am Paulette, your host, and today I have Dr. Elizabeth Cohen joining me. She is a clinical psychologist and the CEO and founder of an online divorce course and membership, Afterglow. Don't you love that name, Afterglow? The light at the other side of divorce. She's the CEO and of the center of CBT and NYC, that kind of rhymes. Dr. Mm-hmm. Cohen's online course teaches women how to feel, grow, and thrive after divorce, no matter how difficult the process has been. I should have been one of your clients, Dr. Cohen. She received her PhD in clinical psychology from Boston University. Cheers for Boston. I, of course, went to Northeastern, so no camaraderie there. And she was the (laughs) recipient of the prestigious American Psychological Foundation Research Award for her research on the emotional effects of 9-11. She also contributes to psychology today with her core, uh, her column, Divorce Course. So welcome to the show, Dr. Cohen. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I you know, started this journey with the podcast coming up on three years ago. Can you believe it, Paulette? No. So, <laughs> and, and over the years of interviewing over a hundred women now, just women, not that I don't like men, I love men, but um, I find that it's just 
one of those communities that women helping women, women serving women, women, you know, encouraging, inspiring, empowering women. And I've had the honor of interviewing quite a few uh, clinical psychologists, but you're, you know, really a unique unicorn in the way that, and, and please, I, I hope you find that to be a compliment. Oh yeah. yeah so I like unicorns. So, um, um, particularly if they're pink and purple and, you know, <laughs> kind of pretty, but, you know, and I say that meaning you're a rare breed, you know, yeah. that you're unique, that you're yeah. special. The fact that you do a lot of things, you wear a lot of hats and you do them well. So how did you get into this line of work? Did you just wake up one day and say, aha, or was it something you fell into? Yeah, well, I'm glad. Thanks for calling me a unicorn. I very much take that as a compliment, um, especially because it's taken a lot of bravery to be a unicorn in this way. So as a clinical psychologist, as many of you probably know from how psychologists are depicted in TV and movies, um, we're really taught to be a completely blank slate. We're taught to be there in service of the client and to provide guidance in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And usually I like to describe it in like a small hole of an office, like a very private and not to be very visible. And that's something that I started finding kind of an itch. Like I was getting tired of just serving people one-on-one. -on -one. I started having this itch of wanting to be able to have a bigger impact and to be able to help people far and wide beyond New York City. And that visibility was a challenge for me. I really came up against a lot of narrative that I had learned in grad school, a lot of stories or narrative that I hear from my colleagues about staying small, about being discreet. And here I was stepping out and sharing my story and my healing path with other people. Mm. I find that fascinating, the fact that in school, you were encouraged, maybe that's my word, taught uh, to stay small or to be less uh, visible. And is, tell me the thought behind that. I, find, I don't know why I find that fascinating, but I do. Is that so that the focus is just uh, focused on the client and you're seen as a fly on the wall and not to be a distraction or? Yeah, so there's many different modes of psychotherapy. I am trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, but the most traditional psychotherapy is psychoanalytic or Freudian therapy. And in fact, um, one of the methods, one of the key methods in change that people who follow this method believe is that by a client projecting or putting onto their, onto their therapist, their own feelings, they are able to work through their problems. So the therapist has to be a blank slate. Otherwise they might um, impact or alter the client's progress. So that's really where it comes from. As a cognitive behavioral therapist, we use more of an active kind of team coach approach. So we are actively involved with the client, but we're not sharing our stuff. Because the, the fear is that if we share our stuff, then the client won't feel comfortable sharing their most vulnerable. I think a, I think a small, like this side, um, side of, this side effect of that, unfortunately, is staying small. Mm. And that must be a very hard role when you have a large personality, 
Maybe, right? So it's it's like, I can do it. I'm disciplined. I'm trained. I understand it. I, I signed up for this. I'm on board. But as a caveat, yeah. as a little, you know, segue or sidebar, you know, hmm, how does that fill in, fit in with my personality and my ability to really empower and inspire? Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm so glad you're bringing that up because I actually think that psychologists and therapists are drawn to a theoretical orientation that actually matches their personality. Like there's no way knowing me that I could ever be, you know, a silent therapist who just took notes. Like there's just no way I had to be in a more active collaborative therapy because of how I am. And I think it's really important for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about starting therapy to know that there are different styles and you are always the consumer. So if you're someone who likes someone who's more reserved, and is a really deep listener, then you can find a therapist like that. Or if you like someone who's more active, look for someone like that. But just know exactly what you're bringing up, Paulette, is that people's personalities come through in their work. So you need to find the right match for you. Mm. I love it. And I get that question so much. Well, two questions. What is the difference between therapy and coaching? We'll get to that one. And number two, I don't, I don't like therapists. They're all the same, you know, and they've only tried one or two yeah. or, you know, it's like, it's sort of like restaurants, you know, you have yeah. to be willing and open and open-minded to finding the right match and the personality, not only the, you know, the book training and the, the pretty little, um, shall we say degrees hanging on the walls, uh, and, and also the, how many degrees they have in the wall isn't necessarily an indication of somebody's efficacy with helping you process and heal from whatever journey or trauma or wounds that you've encountered. Uh, that, that is my own personal analysis. I don't think that's a, a clinical analysis, but that's what I've witnessed, right? And it's, it's a matter of being willing to to match that and not just checking the box like, yeah, it didn't work for me and moving on, but trying to find the right match. Absolutely. And I want to encourage people, if you are seeing a therapist and you're not sure, or you have a few sessions and it's, it's not comfortable for you, please bring that up because how your therapist responds to your discomfort in the relationship can teach you a lot. It can make it very clear that the person is the wrong person for you or it can really help you dig into kind of why you're not comfortable. We're trained to have these conversations all the time. I mean, that's a huge part of our work. And a lot of times people will um, be attracted, just like dating again after divorce, you know, they'll be attracted to something unconsciously that's very familiar. So let's say you had a parent who was um, really unavailable emotionally. And then you walk into this therapist's office who really doesn't speak much at all. This happened to a client of mine. The whole, all the, the whole time she was so triggered and wondering what the therapist was thinking. Now, that was because of her personal history. So once I had encouraged her to talk to the therapist about it, they were able to actually have a corrective experience mm. and see that the assumptions that the client was making were not actually what was going on. So I just want to encourage people, never be afraid to bring anything up with a therapist, never be afraid to fire a therapist, and never be afraid to, to shop around. Shop around, just like dress shoes, right? Try a <laughs> few on, see if you like the yeah. color and how they feel. And yes, 
Are they going yeah. to pass it? <laughs> exactly. Girl talk here, but that's all right. We're, we're, we're aiming down that road. So I digress a little, but um, I want to go back to that original question of what is the difference between therapy and coaching? So from your point of view, what, what is it? So I think there's two main things specifically when we talk about divorce. Um, you know, I have been trained to examine, okay, I think there's two important distinctions specifically when we're talking about working through divorce. A lot of my training focuses on how to help people understand, as I just talked about earlier with the therapist, the origins or the backstory or the history that's impacting their current behavior. A lot of therapists and coaches can focus on how to move forward. That's how I see a lot of coaching. You know, where are we now and how do we move out of that, out of this stuck point, what do we do next? And I think what a therapist adds is the ability to look back and understand how that history might be impacting where you are today and might hinder your ability to move forward. That's the first one. The second piece specifically with divorce is that as a therapist, I've been specifically trained to deal with all types of loss and grief. And that's a piece that I think is unique to a therapist of being able to process all the pieces, especially as a trauma therapist, of the trauma of this current trauma of the divorce, but also past traumas. Got Would you that. agree that that's, a, that's the difference? I, I do agree. I do agree to a certain extent in the, in the sense of many coaches are more of like, I'm going to paraphrase, okay, let's get on with it. Like, you know, not that there's this like a lack of empathy or yeah. disinterest in the past, but it's, let's look at it. Let's, okay, where were you? Where are you now? And where do you need to go? Mm-hmm. And it's not where were you and let's dwell on it. It's okay. We accept it. You know, we got married on June 9th, 19, whatever, and you know, whatever. So moving forward, whereas a therapist can be a little more um, of a deep uh, cedar uh, and and uh, excavator. excavator. Yeah, you know, exactly. They're kind of shining a light on things, and and they tend to be a little, I believe, better listeners. I think mm. coaches can be a little impatient. Mm. That's interesting. If, and you know, each client is different. Some people are. Um, dwellers mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and they're like oh and if they're really stuck in in uh in sadness um I, you know coaches want to lift them up and like get out the pom-poms and like go 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 and they're like no yeah. I need to wallow in my muck and mire and like coaches tend to be like oh go take a shower exfoliate you'll be right. all good and I know I'm being a little simplistic but and whereas the therapist would be more willing to let them sit in their discomfort. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, especially because as a CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapist, especially for anxiety, that is my main um, work with people, which is to allow them to sit with the discomfort. And so I am very comfortable when people are uncomfortable. And I make a big distinction between wallowing and allowing the pain and the feelings, but I see that as healing and growth. I will help people come out of that, but I, I exactly what you said, like, I like to dig deep or that I would dig deep first and then we can move on. Mm-hmm. 
yeah and it's a fine line you know at what point is it um something they've already uh dealt with and they're yeah. kind of procrastinating and all those sort of things when it comes to divorce versus other types of trauma so yeah I think the other thing that's important is if you're wondering how severe your symptoms are, you know, as psychologists, we can diagnose people. And so we can really help really understand, are you meeting the clinical threshold? Does there need to be another kind of intervention? So I think if you're concerned about yourself or someone else and the intensity of your symptoms, Mm -hmm. that's something a psychologist can help you with. Right. Agreed, agreed. And whether, you know, it medication is a route or, you know, other avenues, whereas a, right. a coach is more um, proactive in other areas. I know as a certified divorce coach, and I do have a certain amount of um, specialty training in areas of trauma with divorce, although I don't diagnose them, I'm, I'm able to pick up on fears and um, definite um, roadblocks where I'm there, like, uh, stuck in a certain certain aspect. I feel like the coach is more about the glue and the spokes of the wheel that kind of keep everything flowing and moving with the legal, financial, residential, mortgage, parenting, wellness, health mm-hmm. aspect of the other layers of the divorce process, meaning divorce affects all the, the being. It's the mental, psychological, emotional, but also the physical, sexual, but the financial, as well as the legal aspects of the divorce process. So, you know, if you, if you ask a therapist about those questions, the financial legal, they'll be like, what? And if you ask the, the legal about the other topics, they're like, listen, I got time for that. So mm-hmm. it's depending on the, the attorney, but you know, it's, it is a very different mindset and that's an overused word I know but mind shift of thinking of uh, what aspect of the divorce process are you really stuck in is it the money and of course there's you know feelings behind that is it the physical aspect of being abandoned and oh you know we could go down the rabbit hole of all the topics right here but that is really uh, something that I see a coach's role is when it comes to divorce Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking as you're speaking too that um how I would see all of those areas is I would be looking at if there is a emotional regulation theme in all of them. Like, is there an ongoing theme that you can see in these areas of how this person is interacting with their emotions or people in this situation? So it's, it's like trying to get this. Yeah. But the, see the lines, connect the dots, I think. Mm, Perfect. Brilliant. Well, I'd like to ask you about your own, not that you need to get into the long details, I get it, but how your own personal diverse journey or process mm-hmm. affected you maybe as a professional and how it started to shift your work into a, a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for asking that. Such a good question. I created um, my online program and wrote my book, Light at the Other Side of Divorce, because when I was getting divorced, I popped open my laptop, typed in divorce recovery program, and I couldn't find anything back then. Mm. And I didn't realize until recently when I've been talking about the book, um, that that sent me a message that I wasn't going to heal. Because if there was nothing out there telling me, helping me figure out how to heal, there was a subtle message I wasn't going to. And so I'm very fortunate to have a lot of training. So I, you know, 
bit by bit kind of white knuckled and put together this healing program for myself and using my experience, using um, my training. And I just never wanted anyone to have to go through that themselves. I wanted to create it so that it would be there just accessible because I know from going through a divorce, you are stressed and struggling constantly. You're, as you mentioned earlier, dealing with lawyers, dealing with financial planners, you don't have the time and space to seek out even that much information. Or as we were saying, you know, like meet with three therapists. So I really wanted it to be somewhere where people could just get it and it could be accessible. And I have to say that one of the pieces, this is connecting, I hadn't thought of this to the, our beginning of our conversation about the importance of visibility is that when I was going through the depths of my divorce, I divorced someone who struggled with alcoholism, um, things were so difficult at home, but I would have to show up to my office as if everything was okay. And I got really good in some ways, I guess I was trained in this in grad school in compartmentalizing. I could show up as the expert giving all of this advice and all of this thoughtful um, reflection, but then at home, things were really falling apart. And that was a very um, difficult time. I had a six month old and a two year old. So I really didn't have a lot of space to process the compartmentalizing, but I needed to do that to survive. And I, I think that once I was able to heal. I could never, you know, I never couldn't teach anyone about divorce when I was going through it. But once I had healed through that, through the program I created, I was able to start helping people with what I had, I, I had learned and my life became more integrated. And I think that's when the visibility happened actually. Mm. I'm listening to you and I can relate on a very similar yet sort of different level mm. that I too grew up with rather dysfunctional parents. They weren't connected. They were both drinkers. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel very uh, surreal about what the reality of that was. Uh, try digressing to, to marriage and divorce. But there are many times also growing up as an ex-dancer where mm -hmm. I was trained, literally, the, the, the sayings are the show must go on. Yeah. Uh, never let them see you sweat. Uh, break a leg. You know, <laughs> you know, the curtain going up, like put on a happy face and there's a yeah. lot of misery backstage. Not always, but you know, I mean, most dancers are anorexic, chain smoking, diet Coke, drinking other bad habits we don't need to get into. Um, you wonder why they're so thin. You know, um, the dancers tend to have a interesting persona of what needs to be shown on stage versus reality backstage. And I kind of brought that thinking like, oh, compartmentalizing. We just saw it as the show must go on. But yet it's a role that you have as a child or an adult or a professional or a student or a, a wife or a mother or fill in the blank with whatever label you want to throw in there. But if you're wearing two hats or seven and you're not able to kind of juggle them all, life can get really dark and messy and ugly and Hence, I believe why a lot of relationships and marriages can get super convoluted and confusing when you're not able to be authentic in all of those different roles as wife, mother, professional, fill in the blank. It's yeah. incredibly confusing. Um, yeah. And it doesn't last, you know, it, it because this exterior of everything is okay is completely 
outside based. It has nothing to do with how you are actually feeling. Mm -hmm. So you get more, and in my experience, I got more and more disconnected from how I was actually feeling. And without that internal compass, I couldn't make any decisions. Um, I didn't know what I needed when I needed it. Um, and it was because of the mentorship and guidance of a lot of different kinds of support groups in my life that I was allowed and allowed myself to start hearing my, my internal voice mm. because I was so focused on not having that at all. Mm. Well, for those listening, if anybody is relating to anything that Dr. Elizabeth and I are saying about not listening to your inner voice and maybe feeling like you just were or are disconnected to what you're actually feeling, you know, can you give anyone some tips for the best ways to listen and start to validate those emotions and stop pushing them away? And because it's scary when those things start to come up. Sure. Um, I wonder if this is also something that is because I'm a therapist, but um, I think about two pieces. One is starting super slow. So if you hear me say I'm not connected to myself, I don't know what I need. Um, you're not going to be able to figure out right away if you should move from a city you live in to another city. Like that's just too big of a jump. So let's start really small. Let's start with your next meal. What do you actually, if you were to ask your body, what do you want to eat? Mm. Start with that. Mm -hmm. And then tomorrow morning when you're getting dressed, ask yourself, what kind of clothes do I want to feel against my skin? Mm -hmm. We change behaviors by doing small, minute changes every single day. And so you are going to have to build the muscle of understanding and asking yourself what you want. Mm. And it is like building a muscle. People don't go into the gym and suddenly have the stamina in one day and have a stamina to run a marathon. People work up to that. And so I want to first just say to be really careful and slow. And then the second part is to really ask yourself, what has happened to me in the past when I have said what I wanted? Mm. And why might I have learned that it was a better idea not to ask? Mm -hmm. And once you can understand that a bit, we can start working on having compassion for that other part who's actually afraid of asking for what we want. Mm. That was brilliant. You know, what has happened to me when I asked in the past? And if I did ask what, you know, what risks or consequences were there? Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Well, now I want to ask you about this afterglow. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about afterglow. Um, how do you really break down the, the after effects or the, the mm -hmm. healing process? So the divorce is over, hypothetically, right? You've contemplated it, gotten through it, maybe well, maybe not so well. But now, you know, the ink is dry and the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And let's say you feel relatively secure, stable, you know, you're still feeling a little like, what just happened to me? But there's a little bit of that shock and awe, right? But how does someone who is hoping to heal and move through that process start? 
So my program and my book is really has an underlying premise that when you get divorced, it is an absolute opportunity. It's an opportunity that you can take to create the most amazing, beautiful, designed next chapter. Mm -hmm. And there's some thing, the, the main kind of tenet that you have to accept is that this has nothing to do, really, your healing process has very little to do with your ex. That the healing starts with you. So if you're ready to start looking at yourself gently and with deep compassion through activities, through assignments, to first kind of clean the wound, understand what the wound is, really assess what needs to be addressed, clean it out, and then put it through rehab, then you can set onto this next amazing chapter. And it starts with really how you look, like some cognitive um, exercises about how you look and talk about divorce, how you step, we, we were talking about this um, just now about knowing what you want. I have a chapter on um, living life by design, not by default, how to actually do some of the practices I mentioned earlier to understand what you want your next chapter to look like, how to reconnect to pleasure, how to reconnect to yourself. And then, you know, there's chapters in there about everything that people deal with after a divorce, co-parenting, dating again. And then most importantly, processing the grief and loss of the relationship. No matter how much you are happy, how happy you are not to be in that relationship anymore, there was a time when you wanted that relationship to last and we have to mourn that grief in order to move forward. So it's really, I believe healing is about learning and growing in order to thrive. So mm -hmm. it's, again, like I said, it's digging deep, it's doing some work, it's looking at yourself, it's trying new strategies so that you can have this most beautiful life. And, and that's what I've been able to have and thousands of my clients. So I know it's possible. And that's the proof in the pudding, right? I mean, I am often asked if I'm pro-divorce or if I'm pro-litigation, you know, because mm -hmm. I do tend to attract or people find me who are in high conflict or, mm -hmm. um, dare I say, uh, you know, abusive, whether it be domestic violence or narcissistic type abusive mm -hmm. relationships where there's a lot of conflict and they tend to be very long drawn out cases that mm. can sometimes last years, right? Yes. right? And that tends to be exhausting and debilitating and they really feel drained. And by the time the divorce is over, they've almost just thrown their hands up and said, you know, I don't care what happens now. It's just the relief of having it over is yeah. sometimes enough of what they feel healing. But yeah. then, you know, a year, two years down the road, or even longer, there tends to be a sense of sadness or, or just 
inappropriate confusion. They're just like, yeah. well, I feel so, uh, I thought there'd be closure, you know, yes. needed closure. That's always the like, like there's a dot at the end of the sentence, right? That yes. period that's missing. Exactly. And it has to be different for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm happily remarried and I know many other people do marry. I mean, I don't believe that statistics are off by far, but it's something like 80% of women that divorce are remarried within five years. And I found that to be just like, whoa, a very high statistic, right? Because I, I don't know if you get it a lot, but most people, particularly women after divorce feel like no one will ever love me. I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too stupid, I'm too fill in the blank, right? And and that really is just so obviously if that many people are finding someone, but as we know, the statistics of second divorce and third marriage divorce are not exactly low people. Right. So right. we want to be careful about not repeating the patterns, right. learning our lessons and truly yes. healing before you jump into the pool of dating. And yes. I don't mean having dinner or, you know, relief relationships, but you immediately jump into a new, like committed relationship yeah. and boom, you're right back into the fire. Yeah. It tends to be scary. And you know, one thing I'm thinking is the women who have said those things to you, and I've heard people say the same things to me about not being smart enough or pretty enough, or, you know, don't have a job. And um, I've just been a stay-at-home mom, those kinds of things. I, I really point out to them, we need to heal those, those thoughts because those are things someone has been telling you for a very long time and you now believe them. And so healing yourself from those toxic thoughts and those really painful, painful conclusions about yourself, you won't even have to think about dating again because by healing that, it will just happen on its own. Because that's the, that's the hindrance. It's, it's never there aren't enough men or women. It's always, I need a bit more healing. Yeah. Did you hear that, everyone? I need a bit more healing. Well, congratulations on authoring Afterglow and bringing your work into the much needed light of the life after divorce. I love it and encourage everyone, particularly those who are struggling with the healing process of after divorce, get Dr. Elizabeth Cohen's book. Uh, it is available in April, and I do believe by the time this airs, it will be available. So no excuses, everyone. Uh, go out there and look for Afterglow. I just love the title too. So thank you for coming and sharing your uh, time with me. What is the best way for people to learn about you, work with you, follow you? I dare I say stalk you. I don't mean, <laughs> you know, really like, um, yeah. you know, you're like, ah, study you and then yeah. learn more about you and your background. Thanks for asking. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the divorce doctor. And my website, drdrelizabethcohen.com has all the information on my membership programs, my online course, my private practice in New York City, my book, speaking, everything about me. So, and feel free to shoot me a DM. I love to respond. I have question and answer Mondays. So ask a question. I'm here to help.
Mm, thank you. And I know how hard it is to have a practice and a podcast and be an author and a speaker and all the other roles that you have. So um, I commend you for that. And thank you again. I'm so glad you're here. And everybody, you know, life is tough enough. There's a lot of chaos in there, but no matter what you do, you have to keep thriving. Thanks for tuning in and make sure if you want to talk to us or ask us questions, you can always email us at thrivinginchaospodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.